Welcome to our November Empower Women podcast episode, Managing Your Finances. This month, we were joined by Carrie Luria of Lexington Wealth Management. Carrie discussed topics around understanding and managing your finances. She talked about how our needs are relevant to where we are in life and our concerns around budgeting, saving, investing, planning for retirement, education funding, and so much more. We hope you enjoy. Hi, everyone. This is Carrie Luria from Lexington Wealth Management, and I want to thank you for joining me for this month's Empower Women session called Managing Your Finances. It's an important topic and not one that we spend enough time thinking about. Um, You know, we take for granted the basics sometimes of financial management, and it's always a good idea to have a little refresher and reset to think about some of these topics that are just day-to-day, but oh so important to our long-term financial well-being. When we meet with our clients initially, um, no matter what phase of life they are in, we spend more time probably than they want talking about budget. Um, No one likes the dreaded B word, but it's really important to understand what your money is doing and going on a day-to-day basis. Um, You need to know what you earn and you need to know what you spend. And if you are spending more than you earn, then that's a red flag and it's not sustainable and you should look for things to change. If you are earning more than you are spending, that's a great opportunity for you to save more. Um, Granted, it's also an opportunity for you to spend more, but as a financial advisor, I would encourage you to save it. Um, When you're thinking about a budget, it's also super important to understand the difference about your needs and your wants because they aren't the same. And we have to be honest with ourselves about those differences. Things that we all need are housing, food, medical care, transportation, debt payments. Those take priority within our budget and what we need to be allocating our money to. Things that we want are all the stuff that makes us um, happy, perhaps, and it goes into clothing, it goes to eating out, it goes to travel, it goes to entertainment, um, and sometimes it even goes to others in the form of gifting and donations. And I like to kind of give folks a guideline when they think about budgeting of the 50, 30, 20 rule. And if you can try to target 50% of your budget going to what you need, 30% of your budget going to what you want, and at least 20% of your budget going to savings, it's a good place to start and just a good basic rule of thumb. Now, we all know how expensive Everything has gotten today, um, thanks to inflation, and many folks are trying to find ways to trim expenses and trim their budget, and a few quick hits that we like to try to encourage clients to consider are going through your credit card or your bank account statements and looking for some of those recurring charges. Um, You know, how many of us signed up for streaming subscription services or other kinds of services during COVID because we were stuck at home and looking for ways to entertain ourselves? 
But now that we're back out and about in engaging with the real world, do we really need to have Netflix and Hulu and Disney and Amazon? Um, so it may be time to revisit some of those charges and cancel them because it may not seem much when you think, oh, it's only $20 a month, but over the course of a year, that's $240 and that's a dinner out somewhere and maybe time and money better well spent. Another area we recommend clients think about digging into a little bit is we all have, well, we don't all, but many of us have auto insurance, home or renter's insurance, and umbrella insurance. And we may be set up with an auto pay on a monthly basis, which seems super easy and convenient. But what the insurance companies don't always tell you is that they charge you a, a premium for doing that, uh, for spreading that payment out over the course of the year. So you could be paying $100 a month for your auto insurance and cost you 1200 bucks a year. But if you're willing to pay it in a lump sum once a year, it may only cost you 1000 bucks. So there's a $200 savings right there. Again, something worth looking into. And, you know, I know that coming up with that lump sum is is a big nut. And we wouldn't want you to think about doing that if you had to put it on a credit card and pay interest. But if it's possible to swing it, you may end up getting a discount. Many folks bought a home and maybe put less than 20% down and are continuing to pay private mortgage insurance, which they had to uh, when they had less than 20% equity in the house. But despite today's financial market volatility, one bright spot has been the private real estate market, and many of us have seen our homes appreciate in value. So if you're someone who's paying PMI, you may want to spend a couple hundred bucks, uh, have an appraisal of your home. And you may be surprised happily to find that it has gone up in value and now the equity in your home is 20% or greater and you can drop PMI. Uh, it usually costs about a half a percent or 1% of the loan amount on an annual basis. And why would you want to pay the insurance company that premium when it could go into your pocket instead? So I would encourage you to, to think about looking into just, you know, those are a few quick little things to maybe trim some fat off of the budget. Um, but having a good handle on your, your monthly ins and outs is really important because it helps you be more dedicated about saving, uh, particularly if you're looking for retirement or education saving. We all have different goals, but identifying them and making a targeted effort to achieve them is really, um, you know, it'll save you and be to your benefit long term. When we think about savings, um, you know, it's really powerful to start early and be consistent with your savings. Um, sounds easy enough to do, but not everyone has the discipline to, to do that. When you can, you end up benefiting from long-term compounding. Um, and really what that means is your investments are earning money and that money earns money year over year over year. And that's the benefit of compounding. Um, I wish I could show you a chart, but I'm in your ear right now. There, if you consider saving $200 a month and starting when you are age 25, 
and you save that $200 a month consistently until you are age 65 and you invest it, let's assume you earn six and a quarter percent, then by the time you are age 65, you could have as much as $420,000 and you would have invested a total of 96,000. That's pretty powerful um, and, and worth getting that 200 bucks automated and accumulating for you. And that example illustration assumes that you save 200 steady, that you're not ratcheting it up every year or every month, uh, 200 bucks a month. So over time, that becomes a smaller and smaller part of your budget, presumably as your income is going up. But what's really more powerful is showing folks the example of starting early and um, in effect, even saving less. So if you consider an individual who saved $200 a month from the ages of 25 to 35, so saving for a total of 10 years, setting aside a total of $24,000, when they reach age 65, with about a six and a quarter growth on that money, they would have roughly $209,000. And if you think about someone else who maybe gets a little bit later start, um, they don't start saving until they are 35, same $200 a month, but they started 10 years later. They continue to save until their age 65. So 30 years worth of saving instead of 10, saving a total of $72,000. By the time they're age 65, they also have about $210,000, um, which you know doesn't really seem to add up, but that is what the math plays out because that's the power of compounding. Um, this is really powerful when we're talking to young adults and trying to encourage them to save. Um, the visual graph that illustrates this is really quite compelling. It's a perfect opportunity to encourage you or younger folks to get involved in employer-sponsored retirement plans if available, or to start saving to possibly a Roth IRA. Um, you know, so many young adults get their first job, you know, 16, 17, 18, and they have their first W-2, which makes them technically eligible to open up and fund a Roth IRA. But most of them are maybe earning, you know, five, six, seven hundred dollars a year because it's a part-time summer job and every penny is spent either at the mall or Chick-fil-A or out with their friends. Just, you know, they don't they don't want to save it because it's not much to save, but it's a great opportunity for parents or grandparents to say, hey, you know, let me talk to you about investing and starting early. And if you're willing to part with some of that money and set it aside, I'll match you dollar for dollar um, and get to incentivize them to save. And if they're still not willing to do that, you may on your own decide, you know what, we're going to fund that IRA with your $672 that you earned uh, because we know the importance of it over time. So starting early is hugely beneficial to, to long-term financial growth and sets the discipline in place. When thinking about saving for your future, whether it's for retirement, whether it's for buying a house, whether it's for someone's education, um, the most important step is to start. 
And even if it's a small amount that you can set aside, if you start an automatic investment plan and stick to it, you won't miss the money after some time. We call it automate and accumulate. And one of the benefits of that type of a strategy, um, you can consider it dollar cost averaging, is that out of sight, out of mind, and you typically stick to it no matter what's happening in the market. Um, right now, I know markets are volatile and it could be a little emotional to decide to invest some of your money when the market is down. I mean, actually, this is one of the, that's when you want to be buying low and selling high, but that's a story for another day. Uh, but what happens when you set up a fixed amount to be recurring on some interval, whether it's monthly, weekly, biannually, whatever it is, you, there will be times where you're going to be buying more of an investment because the market is down. And there'll be times when you'll be buying less because the market is up. But what it essentially does for you is it helps to eliminate the stress and the anxiety over, is this a good time to buy? Should I get it now? Should I wait? Should I should I, should I I put more in now? It, it takes that anxiety out and allows you to, to have that money working for you no matter what's happening in the markets. Um, that's one of the benefits of employer-sponsored retirement plans um, and the incentive of getting the matching contribution if your employer offers it, because not only is your money going to work for you, but the employer's money is going to work for you too. Um, you know, the, the best the best advice um, folks often ask us, well, how much should I target to saving? And, you know, not to be not to be snide, but I think our our response is always save as much as you can. There's no downside to doing that. You know, when you when you get a raise at work, um, we encourage you to pay yourself first. So it's always great to have that bigger paycheck. But if you've been living without it and living comfortably with a budget without it, then save that money, set it aside for something else in the future that'll be much more meaningful to you than maybe an extra pair of shoes today. In terms of thinking about extra savings and opportunities to do so, it's not just when you start earning more money or if you inherit money, but if you have any type of debt that you're making installment payments on and you end up paying off that debt, whether it be a student loan or a car loan or a mortgage, um, pretend that you still need to live without that money and keep paying yourself. Keep living without it. Put it in, into savings if you don't have an emergency fund. Put it into an investment account if you don't maybe have enough for retirement or whatever your goals are. Um, see that as an opportunity to continue to shore up your own financial balance sheet. All this talk about saving and investing, I can't ignore the elephant in the room and the fact that this has been a tough year for financial markets for 2022. Both stocks and bonds are down and it's left a lot of investors feeling pretty anxious about the situation and wondering, should I just be selling? I don't think I can look at it anymore. I, I can't stand the volatility. And we wanna just remind everybody that investing does involve risk and and 
investing and savings are not the same. Um, you know, you save your money and keep it in cash or a money market or a CD because you need it for an emergency fund or you have an expense that's coming up in the near term and you can't afford to lose it because you know you're going to be needing to spend it. You invest because you want the opportunity for your money to be working for you and growing for you for some future need. Um, and for many folks, that timeline is usually pretty far out, uh, especially when we're thinking about retirement savings. Uh, there are many versions of this chart that show the impact of being out of the market. And we like to counsel people regarding time in the market versus timing the market. Um, and they're not the same thing. Timing the market, trying to decide when to get in and when to get out is really hard. You have to be right on both sides of that play. Um, and markets are incredibly efficient and they move very quickly. So it's really hard to get that right. Time in the market is much more important. Um, there is an example of if you had invested money in the S&P 500 between January of 2002 and December of 2021, so about 20 years of investing, if you left that money in the S&P, your annualized return would have been about 9.5%. If, however, you missed the 10 best days, not weeks, not months, but days in that 20-year time horizon, your annual return would have been about 5.3%. That's a huge difference. You're leaving about 50% of the total possible growth and return of the market on the table because you missed those 10 best days. Um, it gets even more exaggerated, the number of days that you miss. If you missed the 20 best days, your return goes down to about two and a half percent. And, you know, losses hurt more than gains feel good. Um, and I know market lows and market volatility can drive emotional decision making, but these are the times where it's most important to stick to the strategy, which means sticking to your investments um, if they were right in the first place. Um, you know, we we always encourage people to only take on the amount of risk that they need and that they can handle uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. So just wanted to, to mention that because I know it has been a rough year for markets across the board. Moving off the topic of savings and investing, we do spend a lot of time talking with clients about other financial events in their life and transition points that may come up. A very popular one, of course, is the idea of buying a home and home affordability. And it's a little tough to, to think about that right now uh, with mortgage rates being over 7%. Uh, which is still not historically a high rate, but I think we've all become accustomed to thinking a mortgage should cost us so maybe around 3%. But regardless of what the borrowing rate is, um, you know, when you're thinking about buying a home, especially if you're a first time home buyer, you need to look beyond just that cost of mortgage, principal, interest, and real estate taxes or association fees if you're buying a condo. Um, you know, Try to be honest and reflect a little bit on all the other expenses that may come with owning a home. 
homeowners insurance is typically higher than renters insurance. You may have utilities that you weren't paying for right now. Perhaps you have to pay for water and sewerage. Maybe you have to pay to have your trash removed. Ongoing maintenance of a home can be expensive. Uh, there's always those hidden surprises that, that pop up. Um, snow removal, pool care. Um, one big thing that we don't often think about, especially with a first-time home purchase, is having to fill your house. Um, you know, maybe you've coming, you're coming out of an apartment of one or two bedrooms, and now you're going into a much larger house where you have to furnish it. Maybe you have to buy new appliances. Maybe you have to buy a snowblower. Um, so try to think about what all of those costs may look like and include them in your budget because those will be real expenses. And, you know, do you have the, the resources to, to go ahead and make that happen? Now, obviously, when you're renting, the rent is gone, the renter's insurance is gone. There's a lot of overlapping expenses between renting and owning a home. You're still going to have a phone. You're probably still going to have internet, cable service, all of that good stuff. But there are expenses that kind of are not in the budget right now that you need to be thoughtful and, and consider and really plan out before jumping into buying a home because, um, you know, it's not quite right for everybody or perhaps the timing isn't quite right. Beyond buying a house, uh, certainly another big transition point is parenthood. And there are some, some key documents from an estate perspective that will be important to review and have in place. Um, you know, you'll want to have a will or a trust. You're going to want to appoint someone to be a guardian of your child. You'll want to have a medical power of attorney, which is related to health decisions made on your behalf. You'll want to have a durable power of attorney, which relates to money decisions made on your behalf. Maybe this is time to think about putting life insurance in place if you don't already have it. Um, this might be a good time to start thinking about education savings if, if that's a commitment that you think you want to make to your children. Uh, the estate topics are not always easy to talk about, and it becomes complicated very quickly with family situations. But it's important to have those conversations so that you have the peace of mind that, you know, if the worst should happen, you've planned for it and you've taken care of it and uh, that the right people will be there um, in their in their right assignments if something should happen. Education savings seems really overwhelming um, because the cost of higher education and college education has gotten to be very expensive. But just like with retirement savings, the idea of starting early allows you ultimately to save less towards that goal. Um, just as an example, it, private, um, not private, but public college, in-state college, the average right now cost is about $27,000 a year. And, you know, that's been inflating roughly 6% a year. So we have to assume that that inflation rate is going to continue. If you had a baby today and you wanted to start saving to a education account in a 529 plan, you'd want to think about setting aside maybe $800 a month uh, or roughly $9,600 a year 
into a college savings plan. Um, and again, that would be a fixed amount. Uh, you don't need to think about increasing that. So over time, that savings amount will become a smaller and smaller part of your budget. But um, you know, if you were serious about trying to fully fund college education, that would be a number to be considering. Uh, $800 a month to a 529 plan. It's of course a little bit more overwhelming when you think about private education. The average private college cost right now is almost $56,000 a year. The monthly savings to hit that target, assuming it's invested in you know, earning about five and a half percent would be about sixteen hundred dollars a month. Um, kids are expensive. There's no two ways about it. But what we always like to remind folks is you are the priority and your future and your retirement are the priority. Um, I know we've all heard this, but it's always worth repeating that you can borrow to pay for education, but you can't borrow to pay for retirement. Um, so there's choices and decisions to be made. And it goes back to the idea of prioritizing and identifying what are your goals and what's most important to you. I guess what I'll wrap up with is to share with you some of the year-end conversations that we've been having. We're reaching out to make sure that clients are taking their IRA required minimum distributions if they are in that situation. There is a significant penalty for not taking your distribution. It could be up to 50% of the amount not withdrawn. So it's clearly in your best interest to do that. Um, we are talking with folks about the possibility of a Roth conversion if you happen to be in a low income year. We are making sure that um, if there's room in the budget and you haven't already been doing it, that you're maximizing your retirement savings, either to employer-sponsored plans or to IRA accounts if you don't participate in an employer plan. That, again, that goes back to the idea of tax-free compounded growth uh, over time. It Well, tax deferred because you will owe the taxes on it ultimately. But uh, while it's growing in a retirement account, tax deferred growth is pretty compelling on a year-over-year -year compounded basis. We're also talking about annual gifting. Um, for 2022, the maximum amount that you can gift to any individual is $16,000. That's going up to $17,000 for 2023. Um, really, all that means is if you wanted to be gifting to a person, um, you can give them $16,000 without having to worry about the tax consequences of that. Uh, you can give more than that to any individuals, but then you want to talk to your accountant about filing a gift exclusion. Um, it's not that difficult, but it's just worth being aware of. Going back to the idea of your required minimum distributions from your IRAs, if you are charitably inclined, and you do not need the income from your IRA personally, you could consider gifting part of that or all of that directly to a charity. Uh, there's an immediate tax savings for doing that. You don't have to be worrying about itemizing. It just goes, it does not show up as taxable income and you don't have to account for the itemization of the distribution. Um, so that's a something that we've been working on with some of our clients. So giving directly from your IRA, using up your required minimum distributions. 
If you have charitable intentions, um, you know, it may be worth your while to do that before the end of the year. And we always encourage folks not to write uh, a check and give cash to charities, if possible, to donate um, low basis appreciated investments. So you're saving on two ways. You're saving on the itemization of making the donation and you're saving by avoiding the capital gains of selling the investment. Um, so we certainly can talk more about that uh, with anybody individually who wants to follow up. There are other ways of funding charity um, to maximize the tax benefits. There are donor advised funds and bunching strategies. Um, they're all good things to be thinking about and talking about, but certainly um, apologies as there's just not really the time and space to, to dig into all of those details here, but happy to talk to anybody um, offline if, if that seems like something you want to follow up on. A reminder that it is the open enrollment period right now for Medicare as I'm having this conversation. Uh, the Medicare open enrollment window is always October 15th through December 7th. So we're reminding people about that um, if there was a change that they were thinking about making to their coverage. This could be a great year to make sure that you are looking at your portfolio and rebalancing to recognize some losses, which will benefit either this year or future tax returns. Um, obviously, the theme here is all about taxes and what kind of year-end planning you should be doing to try to reduce your income um, and possibly increase your deductions. Uh, we're not tax advisors. We know enough to, to speak to these things, but of course, um, your individual situation should be discussed with your, your professional tax advisor. Other things that we just in general always try to, to think about and make sure we're reminding one another is to review your account beneficiaries. Um, you know, we all have IRA accounts or insurance accounts that were set up years ago and just making sure that the people that we have designated as our primary and contingent beneficiaries are still appropriate and making changes if necessary. Um, and just another important point or rather question is, do your people know your people? Um, you know, you may have a team of advisors around you, whether it be financial advisors or health advisors or other types of professionals who you work with and know you intimately and do the people who who are in your world and who might be responsible for making some decisions if you're not capable of making them um do your people know who those other professionals are um and it might be worth your while to spend a few minutes just jotting down a list um and making a note so it's easier to to help them navigate um again we never want the worst to happen. Uh, but I think it's super important to always plan for the worst and hope for the best. So those are some of the, the main points of managing your finances. Um, it's you know, everybody's situation, like I said, is unique and different. And whether it be goals, whether it be your tech situation, uh, or just your outlook on life, or, or where you might be in different transition points. Um, always a good idea to just sort of step back, take a minute, revisit the basics and make sure that the house is in good order. 
So I thank you for your time today. I hope you found this helpful. And um, again, if you wanted to have a a one-on-one conversation, please don't be shy. Please don't hesitate to reach out to myself or any of the advisors at Lexington Wealth. Thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed this episode. To listen to past podcast episodes and to see our calendar of upcoming events, visit our website, empower-women.com. You are also invited to join us on December 13th for our next event, Roadmap to Recalibration with Pamela Katz-Ressler. Hightower Advisors LLC is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities LLC, member FINRA and SIPC. Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. This material is not intended or written to provide and should not be relied upon or used as a substitute for tax or legal advice. Information contained herein does not consider an individual's or entity-specific circumstances or applicable governing law, which may vary from jurisdiction to jurisdiction and be subject to change. Clients are urged to consult with their tax or legal advisor for related questions.